Welcome to Amidon Planet. I'm your host, Joel Amidon. Thank you for joining me in this never-ending quest to learn how to teach better. Today on episode 90 of the podcast is Andy Weir. He's the New York Times bestselling author of The Martian, Artemis, Project Hail Mary, and Cheshire Crossing. Yeah, that Andy Weir. <laughs> he also has a short story, Randomized, that can be found in the Ford Collection on Amazon. Uh, he built a two-decade career as a software engineer until the success of his first published novel, The Martian, allowed him to live out his dream of writing full-time. He is a lifelong space nerd and a devoted hobbyist of such subjects as relativistic physics, orbital mechanics, and the history of manned spaceflight. That's from his website. It's a pretty good bio. I wanted to come on this podcast to talk about teaching. This podcast is about learning how to teach better. And I have used his books and his examples that he's put in his books uh, to help me teach better. And so I wanted to talk to him about it. I wanted him to like peel the onion back a little bit, peel, see a little bit of his process about how he built the books, but then also to, to think about, well, what led to the, this guy who was a software engineer that explored these spaces, these technological and, and you know, space, science spaces in order to you know, create these stories that then so many people love. When I talked about it, and I, I was hesitant to talk about it because you know, Andy Weir's a busy guy. He's got a lot of things going on. Um, and I booked this and I'm like, hey, I'm thinking I might get Andy Weir on the podcast. People are so excited, right? So excited uh, about his work, about his books, about the movies that are made off his books and the, the future movie possibly from Project Hail Mary that's coming out with Ryan Gosling. Holy cow. Um, anyway, I just wanted to, I wanted to talk teaching with him and we do do that and we do about a number of different things. Uh, and I think that there's some lessons to be learned about learning how to teach better in here. I don't want to delay anymore because this was a great conversation. Um, uh, just excited to have it, excited to share it just like usual. So without any further delay, here is my conversation with New York times bestselling author, Andy Weir. Andy Weir. Hi. Welcome to Amazon planet. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, your listeners don't know this, but I'm like an hour late to our interview, and uh, I feel bad about it. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We're we, we're uh, willing to roll. We have a lot of teachers, so they know about uh, how to roll with uh, just whatever's happened during the day. Hey, you got to send me drill? to the principal's office. I... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, of all the planets that you wrote about, I don't know if you've ever dreamed about coming to Amadon planet. I don't know. No, I mean, I you fantasize about it when you're a little kid, but. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, again, thank you for uh, taking the time. I appreciate it. And uh, you know, I've been excited about this and then sharing, you know, and I didn't want to, you know, cause sometimes we, we've been working on this for a while. I would just like, I would say, I'm taking my shot. I put a little email out there and seeing, mm-hmm. you know, would you be willing to come on? And and we finally, I think it's been over a year, but just, you know, back and yeah, forth. Yeah. There's been that, that email thread that goes back and forth, but I've always yeah. been busy or, or whatever. It's great. Um, yeah. I've been, uh, I, I mean, guilt was a big part of it. I, I'm like, <laughs> I've turned this guy down so many times. I got to, do something because lately, like right now, I'm not really doing much in the way of interviews or events or anything just because uh, my wife and I have a baby yeah. and um, he's taken up all of our time. Babies are very selfish. They, yeah. they, they don't care about your schedule. That's right. And uh, yeah, so, uh, but I finally got the you, you, your soft cell technique. Finally, uh, <laughs> or you don't. <laughs> this is how I got married, Andy. That's that's. <laughs> <laughs> Will you marry me? No, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. check. I'll check in a week. That's right. But uh, like 
I've been using some of the videos from the Martian, uh, as trying to get my students to understand what do I mean about what I call a messy task. And so thinking about, um, and, and I teach elementary math methods. And, and so we talk about, um, make sense of problems and persevere in solving them, uh, which is one of the, you know, the number one standard for mathematical practice. And I think that, you know, the Martian over and over again, and well, I mean, all both your books and, and well, all your books, um, like there's some sort of like task that there is that to solve. And then there's all these other tasks. And it's like, you need to know things in order to do things in order to get that next task done and then need to go on to the next thing. And so I just thought that I would using yours examples as like a, a way to get at that thinking about what does it mean to, to put messy tasks in front of kids and get them to be intrigued about them was, I, I don't know. And then that, that led to wanted you come on the podcast. And here I am. Yeah. So, um, so we already, uh, you know, talked about the, uh, soft sell to, to get you to come on. And again, I appreciate your time, but sure. I guess, you know, so thinking about this is like the, you know, we talk about the, the books and how, you know, and you've, you've said this, like they're fairly simple plots, like, Hey, we're going to, they gonna... really are. Yeah, yeah. They're not, I, well, I like, I like to have like a simple premise that I just kind of like work, work outward from there. Right. That's, that's what I, I like to write about. Or I'm a simple writer. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but how do you do it? How do you, I mean, like, so what was like the simple premise that started off with, with the Martian or project Hail Mary, or even I, I love the, the new one, the randomized, the little, I guess, novellas, oh, yeah. I guess too. Like, yeah, that was part of the, uh, Blake Crouch and, uh, the, um, uh, forward, forward collection. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Forward collection. Yeah. Um, yeah, well the, the kernel, I guess, or whatever, of uh, uh, the Martian was, I was, well, I'm a nerd, I'm a space dork and I always have been. <laughs> and so I was sitting around, not, not, not for the purposes of fiction or thinking of stories. I was just thinking about like, how would we do a, a, a crewed mission to Mars? How do, how do we put people on Mars? And I'm like, so I started putting together a mission plan. I'm just like, oh, you know, whatever. And so to be clear, like I, once again, I wasn't doing this with the idea of a book. I was just doing this because that's the sort of thing I do. I just sit here and go, I'm going to design a Mars mission. Why not? I got nothing to do today. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, and so I started off with like, okay, how do we get them there? How do we, what do they do while they're there? How do we get them back? How do we make sure that one failure doesn't kill them? Mm. Because Mars and Earth's orbits are not very cooperative for, uh, you know, aborts. It's not like a lunar mission. The moon is always in orbit around Earth. Yeah. So you go, you come back, whatever. But if you're going to go to Mars, it's moving around the sun at a different rate than Earth and so on. And I started expanding on existing technology. It's really fun. The research aspect of a project is always my favorite part. I got Excel spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets. I got everything going on. I got my math, math, math everywhere. I love that stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I told you I'm a nerd. <laughs> and anyway, so I started thinking about like, okay, any mission plan needs to account for what do you do if something goes wrong? You can't just die if, you're, if your life support system fails. There needs to be right. a backup, a secondary mm -hmm. backup, a plan for if you have no backups and so on. Mission plan needs to uh, handle everything. And so I started thinking of more and more things that could go wrong. What if this and this go wrong at the same time? What if this and this and this go wrong? And then I realized that would put the crew in an increasingly desperate situation. I'd be like, well, maybe they could, they could, okay, they could, they could do this to stay alive long enough to go do that, to the, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, this might make a good story, but I don't want to have a whole crew working together because I'm, I'm not a real writer. I just want one person there. I don't want 
interpersonal relationships. That's what real writers do. <laughs> so I, I engineered a way to have one person stranded there and then subjected him to all of it. So, yeah. but the kernel, you asked like, what was the core idea? And that was just, um, you know, Apollo 13 on Mars, basically. Oh yeah. Yeah. Houston, we have a problem. Earth, we have yeah. a problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like even to start, like we were the, um, you know, just think about what Mark Watney and like on the, on the ground with, you know, something through his, his suit and like the warnings, like, all right, go. go. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Well, I do like to start in media res, as they say, I like to start, like start somewhere interesting and then move forward from there. Yeah. Cause then like the little, and then, so the little, so like we have an overarching problem, which I kind of in my classrooms, like equate with like, here's a goal, here's a standard that we're trying to shoot for by the end of this year. All right. So now what right. are the little jumps that you have in between, you know, just immediately to, you know, get inside, right. To, uh, right. To communication solve, system All to right. solve a big problem. You need to solve a bunch of little problems. Um, yeah. Or another way to look at it is the best way to solve a big problem is to break it down into a bunch of little problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how did you, I mean, when you're setting up your spreadsheets, they're like, it's like, okay, to get, <laughs> to get from here to there, like what are all the different problems or, or things that they'd have to solve? Like the, just even the communications uh, system, it seems like that's a, a big thing to solve on, on the, in the Martian. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, well, you know, you know, the results I came up with because right. you read the book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, these were all, that was, I don't know. I love that part of like coming up with the problem, coming up with the solution. And then I just narrate the character doing that. <laughs> yeah. And so like we, we, we dive into that. We like almost digest that as like a, like a football player or something like that. thinking mm -hmm. about all the different levels of knowledge. So like the trivia sort of things that you need to know, like, uh, like how to calculate the, uh, circumference of a circle and like, what are the degrees? And then like how many, then you have to know how many letters in the alphabet, like all the just little trivia things that you need to know. And then the skills that need to execute in order that then to differentiate, like, all right, the alphabet's not going to work. So we need to use hexadecimal. That'll actually get me the the communication that I, I mean, all those different things in order to uh, solve just this one problem in the <laughs> grand scheme of problems. It's just, I don't know, like it, it gets me excited as a teacher. Like these are the kinds of things like when, you know, like kids ask, well, why would I need to do this? Well, here's a rich problem to think like, well, here's <laughs> why you need to know these things. Well, you know, you can never trust teachers because like, uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, everyone said, oh, you're not just always going to have a calculator with you. Mm. But we do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So they lied. Right. They did. <laughs> well, and that's a, like, and how do you use your tools, right? And the tools strategically. And that's another one of our <laughs> things is like, what tools do you have available? What, what are the things that you have uh, with you in order to solve the problem? Mm -hmm. So when you think about the kinds of, um, so like when you're thinking of the next text, so like Project Hail Mary, like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting, I'm guessing that was, well, I don't know. I'm not even going to guess. Like, it was just what, what was the kernel for for that uh, book? Well, that that the basic premise there was I thought like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a mass conversion fuel? Like that's that's what it started with. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we had the uh, you know some sort of fuel that was able to turn just mass into light energy and you could use that as a propulsion? And because then if we had that and we could make it 
then we could colonize the solar system easily. There's all sorts of cool stuff we could do. And then I started thinking about that. And then I was like, okay, so I really want to write a story where humanity, modern day humanity has that technology, but there's no way we could invent that. Like we don't have mm -hmm. anything close to that kind of technology right now. I'm like, okay, maybe they find it. It's some weird naturally occurring thing. Or Originally, I thought like maybe they find like an alien spaceship that crashed on Earth half a million years ago or something, and they find that fuel, and then they reverse engineer it. And I'm like, that still seems like a lot. Like, okay, you've you know, reverse engineered what, something that's like you know 7,000 years ahead of our time technologically. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, a caveman found a nuclear reactor, and now he knows how to make one. <laughs> that's right. Like, you know, and then so I thought like, well, maybe it's something that's naturally occurring. Because then I thought, like, how do they make more? Uh, like, you get some of this fuel, but how do you make more? And I thought, like, well, maybe it, maybe the fuel itself grows. Like, maybe you can make more fuel if you have some of the fuel. And I'm like, well, that sounds kind of like life, right? So what if this is a life form? Then I'm like, why would a life form need, like, that much energy? Why would it evolve that ability? And I'm like, oh, it goes, it, it's an interstellar life form. So it needs all that energy to travel from star to star. And like, where does it get all the energy? Well, from stars. I'm like, oh, okay. So now I've got a system where it reproduces and I came up with this. Okay, it's a monocellular life form. It migrates from a star to thing like that. But I still didn't put it together yet. And it was like, okay, so some of that ends up in our solar system and we find it. Then we start making our, you know, interplanetary society and stuff like that. I'm like, and in the back of my mind, I thought, man, they'd have to be really careful. It would suck if that got into our sun, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, so they, they would have like all sorts of safety rules and stuff to make sure. Wait, no, back it up. That's the story. There you That's go. the story. Go back. <laughs> <laughs> was that it? I mean, was it like that? It like, like, hey, wait a second. Boom, like lightning, like th that's yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah, basically. At that point, I was like, oh, okay, I got it. This is, this is it, it because I, I, I really like, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, elegance in, mm. um, in plots. And I, I love it when it's like, okay, in this case, we have a situation where the, the problem is also the solution to the problem. Yeah. Are, are you talking to people when you're doing this or is this all just internal? It's, it's internal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, know. I don't want to bore my friends with too much of it. And, uh, but I have a good time with it. So. But it, like I mean, I, said, I guess that, yeah. that's part, I mean, so internal, but then like, I mean, part of your story, and we're going to post a link to your uh, TED talk where you talk about how you, uh, you know, got into publishing and, and you know, self-publishing and then led to your books getting acquired. But like mm -hmm. just putting your ideas out there, it's like, okay, well, somebody will like this. I might not want to bore my friends, like you said, with this, but I, right. somebody, somebody will enjoy this thing. So how did that get going with? Um. Well, I mean. Well, boring my friends. Like I, I, I was hoping my friends would also like the uh, the story that I wrote. What mm. the boring part is developing a story. Like, you know, that's when you're going back and forth on like, oh, the math of this, or right, how does yeah, that yeah. thing work? Presenting just the end result is hopefully entertaining because that's what I'm doing for the readers, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like the, the like calculating, like, huh, how many calories are in a potato? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a thing. That's you know, sometimes you got to know how many calories are in a potato. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so when you I, like a little bit into your writing process, so a lot of this internal stuff. So I mean, when you're doing this research, like I don't know, just thinking about the you know coming up with this uh, fuel source, 
Like mm-hmm. when you start with that idea, like where are you going? I mean, is it just diving into the internet? Are you talking to experts? Uh, uh, just diving into the internet. Yeah. I just, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, people think I have this like Rolodex full of, uh, you know, experts and I kind of do, but Google answers faster. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Um, and so when you were in, in a, Again, just asking a little bit about the process because I'm dealing with a lot of like students that are, you know, doc students, but they're also working teachers and they're thinking about they're engaging in writing, different kind of writing from what you're talking about. But like just when you were still working and you're engaging in, in this stuff, almost as, you know, on the side, like what, how were you doing it? Like, were you just getting up early? Was it just something that you thought about on walks, on break? I don't know. Yeah, like, walks pretty much. Uh, long walks. I love uh, I, I, that was like one of my main creativity outlets was taking long walks. Nice. And just, just going through those questions like, ah, oh, I can't do that. I can't do uh, oh, that. That might be a good possibility. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Grabbing notebooks and stuff. Um, yep. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so in a previous podcast, you mentioned a few teachers, um, cause we talk about learning how to teach better. Uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Fong, Mrs. Cox Mr. and Mr. Yeah. Nicola. Uh, three yep. teachers that you recognized, um, just as some of them that's people that stood out in your life. Uh, what did they do to help you, uh, become who you are today? I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. I, um, so like Mr. Fong was just, uh, I, I don't know how to put it. It's, it's difficult to describe. He was just really good at being a teacher. I, I don't, he, it, you know, all my other classes, the kids were always a little bit not paying attention or whatever. Mr. Fong was our math teacher and he would just keep people focused. He had this, he had this frenetic energy about him. He was always like flying from one blackboard to another. And, you know, oh, and this is why this is how this works. This is how this works. And I'm going to show you how this works. And, and now, now, and then he'd bring the students up in pairs to solve problems on the blackboard. So he'd, he'd write like, uh, okay. Um, you know, or he'd put like, uh, you know, you know, Joey and, and Michelle go to this, go to, go to that part of the blackboard and solve problem one. Then you two do go there and solve problem two. And then you'd have all the students there. I guess he was just, I, I guess the best way to put it is he was just a very skilled teacher. Like mm-hmm. he was just a very good teacher. He could, uh, he could keep the students engaged and interested, which is, you know, not something everybody can do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it sounds like getting people to be engaged and doing things together and not just sitting and just regurgitating things from the textbook. Right. Yeah. Well, for sure. And then also he was just, uh, I don't know, he, you you had to get up there and solve the problems. I mean, you didn't have to do it right. And he'd tell you where you messed it up if you didn't, you know, but it, it wouldn't be like, yeah, I guess that's a good way of putting it. It wasn't just regurgitating data from a textbook. Yeah. I mean, even just think like, you know, some of the things that he, they talking about, and again, being a, a, a math teacher, thinking about like mm-hmm. doing things together, like, Hey, we're up there struggling together on this problem, or we can help each other out and, yeah. and whatever. And knowing that you didn't have to always get it right. That, and he probably sounded like created an atmosphere where there wouldn't be any shame if you didn't. And so it could be right. an option to learn from mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great teacher. Um, well, Mrs. Uh, Cox. Yeah. Mrs. Cox was another math teacher. She was my geometry teacher. And, um, I don't know. She just had a, uh, uh, maybe I was just, uh, it's, it's, it's really difficult for me to describe how, you know, what makes any given teacher good. I think the one thing they all have in common is that they all, they all really cared about it. Like they all 
wanted you to know if they weren't just there, like you said, regurgitating, you know, notes from a book. They were, um, you know, Mrs. Cox would show us how to do stuff. Hers were much more lecture oriented. She didn't bring kids up to solve problems or anything like that. Um, she would be interactive with the class. She'd be like, okay, can anyone tell me this, that, or the other thing? But it was more the traditional everybody's in their seats and answering questions. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's more about I was just very receptive to, you know, being taught geometry at the time. I'm not well, sure. I wonder, too, like, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it, like, you know, geometry has got like this, there's a set of rules, right? We, we start off with these, yeah. you know, these little products of point, line, and plane, and then we come mm -hmm. up with all the, the world based off of those three things and how they interact with each other and, and give, mm -hmm. you know, labels to things. And so like, it builds up this world and like, what can you do in this world? If you given this, can, what can you do that? It almost seems like if you're given a Martian, uh, it's you know, <laughs> injured on, uh, on a planet with, with these supplies, can they get home? You know, like, it mm -hmm. seems like that. I don't know. Have you ever made those connections? Uh, never did really, but yeah, good point. Yeah, because like when they talk about like uh, lawyers and things, uh, they talk about like what is their geometry scores? Because again, it's like here's a set of of principles, and so what can you do within this world? Or else, mm -hmm. too, even like the really high level mathematics, like when they you know, like when they're talking about field and ring theory and all that. I can't remember. I got notebooks where I can't even read them anymore. But it's like, <laughs> what are these worlds? What do these worlds mean? Can you what what can you do if you've set up with these basic principles? And it seems like that's sort of the same thing here. If like, hey, if we start with this, where does that go with mm -hmm. these stories? Um, and well, anything, and and again, just to give a shout out, Mr. Nicola, anything stand out for Mr. Nicola? Yeah, Mr. Nicola, he's interesting. He's the only one on that list that is not a science or math teacher. He's um, he was my history teacher, and I, I guess I have to give uh, one of the things that stood out for Mr. Nicola for me was. I didn't like history normally. Like, I never cared about it. It wasn't interesting to me. It wasn't the... I, I didn't care. I was, a, I was a math and physics nerd. I didn't care about history. But he was... Uh, I, I know I keep giving you the same vague answer, but he was just really good at teaching it. No, no. <laughs> he made us care about it. He, I remember one thing he did was he, um, he, he, made his, uh, he made his classroom into Ellis Island, and we were all immigrants. And so we all had to wait in line and go through. And some of us started off. He, everyone, he get everyone got a card saying who you were and where you're from and what you've got and stuff like that. And so I was like this um, impoverished German immigrant or something like that. Yeah. But the kid in front of me was this like rich Italian immigrant. And so he just like bribed his way past everything because he could because yeah, yeah. he uh mr nicola brought in other teachers to play the role of the functionaries at um at ellis island this is in the 1800s and you could bribe them and stuff like that or whatever else and so like you know the the, the kids that were randomly assigned to like wealthy people just bribed their way through um you know kids that were like black they were they were assigned like they're black or they're chinese or whatever like that were like oh you have to go through this extra stuff and it's just interesting it wasn't just like he didn't just tell us that he had us like role play it yeah well i think how many years ago that was and how like that's, yeah. that those moments still stick with you yeah i guess it was on the order of 35 years ago and i still remember that we also assassinated president mckinley <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> um 
Yeah, because we did this whole thing that was like we we did a bunch of stuff where uh, we kind of acted out stuff from the turn yeah. of the century, and this one kid was always William McKinley, and like because whenever he said like that guy, you know, oh whatever we need William McKinley, there's that guy, yeah. and then at the end we assassinated William McKinley. <laughs> well, he was shaking hands with everybody, and then one of the kids went up and shot him with a with a laser tag gun. <laughs> Again, powerful moment. Maybe not a moment yep. we can do anymore, but like a powerful moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nowadays you, I mean, yeah. unless you said, well, just make your hand yeah, into yeah. a... Exactly. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, thinking no, about No, but those... you did the thing that, um, I mean, I, I, I know a lot about the assassination of William McKinley because yeah. of that, right? Like, right. I know that um, uh, Leon Solgez um, had a small caliber weapon in his hand and he draped his jacket over it. And he went up like he was going to shake McKinley's hand and then shot him. Yeah. I mean, I, again, like there, we did a, a, a book on this podcast, uh, Chip and Dan Heath, and talking about the power of moments. And I mean, that is, I mean, obviously, like you're saying 35 years later, like that's a powerful moment. And right. Well, now, I mean, when, you, when you're when you there at an assassination of a president, you remember. You know? uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, th- I mean, thank you for taking that time to, to share on this. I mean, like, and even just to say, like, the, the investment that each of them showed in different ways in, yeah. in showing that they cared and getting y'all to care about that. It also and, shows that I didn't, uh, you know, I, I, I'd never codified in my head before what it is that made them good. I just, I knew they were good teachers, but it's difficult for me to put into words exactly why, you know, I give it a shot here, but yeah, I think in all three cases, the, the common thread is they genuinely cared. Like they were really, invested in in us learning well and i think and I, i'm going to keep drawing uh parallels back to your work and thinking about like sure. the you know you're doing like heavy math problems in some of this and like and you you're leaning in like is there enough calories to make it yeah, you know? yeah, no like, like and and it's like it's yeah, i think you i think you said another part just it's a bunch of algebra story problems like, yeah it's a, it's a bunch of uh, yeah it's a bunch i don't understand why a book of algebra word problems became so popular right and well and then let's think and why would like these uh the going through Ellis Island stick with you, but like the, mm. he built up drink that could have just been, Hey, here's what Ellis Island was like versus no, no, no. You're yeah. going to experience it. You're going to be an impoverished German immigrant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so just to shift a little bit, I mean, so talking about some of the, you know, going from algebra story problems to, I, I, I think I've had some struggles in, uh, depression, um, oh, anxiety yeah, a little bit. Um, did you and, find that stuff about me when you were researching? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and, and, but like one time I was just having a dark period and mm. I read the Martian and oh. I, it, it gave me hope. I mean, cause like oh, some good. of the things about the world and, and you just like, but the Martian gave me hope and in the, and in the Martian, one of the last lines is, and I'm just going to read it to you. Apologize in advance, but the cost of my survival must have been hundreds of millions of dollars, all to save one dorky botanist. Why bother? Well, okay, I know the answer to that. Part of it might be what I represent: progress, science, and interplanetary future we've dreamed of for centuries. But really, they did it because every human being has a basic instinct to help each other out. It might not seem that way sometimes, but it is true. So, 
what do you say to those that enjoy your work like like I do and that embrace it for the hope that it communicates around our abilities to overcome collectively? Well, um, I guess I, I just, I genuinely believe that humanity is good. Like, it's easy to lose sight of that, but it's, um, we are as a species pretty awesome. And I have a lot of faith in humanity. Uh, one thing I like to do when I'm at talks, you know, in-person talks, is I ask the audience, hey, Anybody here, can anybody tell me a technology that has done more harm than good for humanity? Mm. And people will start by saying, well, what about nuclear bombs? And I'll say, well, what about nuclear power, mm. right? How many people have not died in coal mines because of nuclear power? How many people have right. not died from, you know, the, lung, the long-term lung effects of pollution because of nuclear power, you know? Mm -hmm. they, yeah, how many wars haven't been fought over energy resources because of nuclear power, you know, and so on. And so it is extraordinarily difficult to find any technology. I mean, if you get super duper specific, if you say like, okay, mustard gas, all <laughs> yeah. right, well, that's bad. However, if you back it up a bit and say, you know, organic chemistry, <laughs> right. it's done a lot of good. And, and I say, like, well, if you, that should be a clue to you about kind of the true core nature of humanity is that if you give a, a planet full of humans, a new technology, the vast majority of them will figure out ways to use it to help other humans. Nice. Like some of them will weaponize it and they're like, mm -hmm. all right, well, that's, you know, that's going to happen. Yep. But the vast majority of people are like, how can I use this to make life better for people? I mean, that's the first thing you think of. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like that, or that's the first thing most people think of. They're like, wow, I could really, I could really do something awesome with this. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, I wrote a story. I don't know. It was called Yuri Gagarin saves the Yuri Gagarin saves the galaxy. But, uh, <laughs> um, basically these aliens offer, it's a short story I wrote. And, Yuri Gagarin goes up, he's, you know, the first human ever to go into space, and these aliens are like, welcome, as the first of your species to leave your planet, you are officially the ambassador um, of Earth to the intergalactic, you know, community or whatever, and they're like, we'd like to offer you, you know, basically everything, we want to offer your people all, all sorts of stuff to help you out, and he's like, wait, what, like, like what, and they're like, well, here's a... Here's a device. We notice that you're still, you still do a lot of mining and a lot of your people get hurt. Here's a device that'll just, you just point it at a mountain and it'll just like evaporate except for the uh, elements that you want. And he's like, well, what if you pointed it at like a city? And they're like, well, I mean, that would be disastrous. So you, so you wouldn't do that, right? Yeah, yeah, he's like, okay, well, we're going to pass on that technology. No, we, we don't want that. And, and so just bit by bit just keep saying no because they keep offering this like all this you know they're like all right all right, all right. <clears throat> we notice that your species has uh cancer um here's a technology where you can make a custom virus that'll attack just the cancer cells in a person's body so you just do that for every person who has cancer and then nobody will have cancer and it's like oh that sounds good wait can i make a custom virus to do other stuff and they're like, well, I guess theoretically, it's like, like, could I target people? Could I make a virus that's only deadly to people based on their skin color or something? And they're like, the aliens are like, well, I suppose you could, but why would you do such a thing? And Yuri Gagarin's like, no, we're, we're going to pass on that technology. Too. <laughs> so he ends up just saying no to everything. And well, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, so that was kind of the opposite yeah. of what my true beliefs are, which is that, 
humanity tends to do good. I think if you gave us too much technology too quickly, it might be pretty bad. Yeah. I think someone Ooh. stole that last one from you. Wasn't that the plot of the last Bond movie? Was it? I, the, I don't know. Of, yeah. The what? That was a custom virus? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's not a new guy. I mean, that, that goes back you know, no, 100 years you. worth of fiction. No, I'm going well, to I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, yep, man. Yep. <laughs> Stamp it. There we go. I'm the first person ever to think of a weaponized virus. All right. <laughs> that's right. But it was custom. It was custom. Like, it was very customizable. Um, <laughs> To one person. Anyway. Uh, oh, wow. Now that's customizable. Yeah. yeah. That was really good. Um, <laughs> all right. So, and you, in given your uh, just kind of transitioning to that way too, um, you have been very open in talking about uh, mental health. And, and we'd also, and we talk a lot about that, especially after the pandemic and thinking about how to teachers stay fit, not, you know, not just physically fit, but mentally fit. Um, and sometimes that means more than just taking a walk or engaging in some breathing exercises. So, um, you know, what do you, what do you do to stay mentally fit or what do you suggest that, you know, teachers do? Cause I think sometimes it's, it's, uh, teachers think they can do everything and like they avoid, avoid doing things that they need to, to stay mentally fit. Mm. That's a, uh, I, I wish I had answers for you on that. I could tell you about my own experiences with depression and anxiety, but, um, I mean, things that I would do to stay mentally fit. Well, I enjoyed taking long walks. And I don't know if these are things that actually helped, but they're things that I, I don't know, maybe even just coping mechanisms. Yeah. Long walks help me kind of recenter. Um, uh, I, you know, I've mentioned before, I love doing the research and the math, but that for me is an escape. Yeah. Like for me, because I'm like, all right, the rest of the world's out there. I'm in my little spreadsheet mm -hmm. with my math. If I need any information, I'll just ask Google and then go right back to my spreadsheet. I'm nice and safe, you know? So I guess there's, there's something to that. Um, yeah. In terms of, I think everybody, you know, obviously everybody's different. So what it is that helps you recharge or recover is um, going to be different for each person. Well, I guess some people, yeah. I was going to say was just even to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I mean, just even to think like what you just said, like, Hey, jumping into this world and, and calculating some things in a spreadsheet, that's my thing. Like that's, yeah. that is helpful. And so first off, first off, it's a thing that brings me happiness just in its own right. And second off, it is a refuge. It's an escape, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, the rest of the world, I, I don't need to interact with anybody. I'm not doing anything. It's just me and data, you know? And so yeah, that, that for me is both enjoyable and an escape. Uh, a lot of people, might, uh, yeah, despite the fact that I am a, you know, level five nerd, um, I've never been that into video games. Uh, but for a lot of people, I think they find yeah. a lot of comfort in, you know, video games. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a leisure time activity, I guess. Make, make yourself unwind. Yeah. But yeah. for me, really... Uh, uh, my depression and anxiety wasn't circumstantial. It was like chemical, right? Yeah. It's like, so, you know, um, well, I, I didn't have an awesome childhood, so that kind of made things worse. But, um, uh, yeah, that, that, that is kind of work, you know? So yeah. like taking care of my mental health is, is, is time and effort and, and work, and it's not like, you know, fun. Right. Right. You know, so I do therapy every week. I take pills. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, a better answer to your question. Well, but no, I, don't I mean, really I, have one. I think that's uh, too is just you know recognizing that. I mean, even you're saying like you know going for walks and and, and going into this world and like you know some that's not enough. <laughs> you know, no, that, yeah, to, you know, well, to, I often, to do the work beyond that. Well, yeah, I often tell people having having like anxiety or depression is like having a broken leg. Um, you wouldn't expect yourself, you wouldn't expect to be able to just take care of a broken leg on your own, right? You wouldn't expect to be like, I've got a broken leg, but I'll just limp for a bit. It'll be fine. No, you go get help from professionals, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, you know, okay, so you go get help. And I, I equate that to like, you know, talking to, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, getting yeah. the get therapists and, and also getting the pills you need. If, if that's the problem, if you're mm -hmm. having a chemical imbalance situation, yeah. get the pills you need, but then that's, that's the equivalent of getting a cast. You still need to do the therapy in right. the case of the leg, it's physical therapy. In the case of your brain, it's therapy therapy, but you still need to do that. You can't just, you know, you need to talk it through because I, I, I think that there are some people who, um, were it not for the bad chemicals in their brain, would be perfectly happy people. But I think most people who suffer from uh, anxiety and depression, it's a combination. You've got some genuine psychological problems, not like crazy, but but just you're sad or you're you have you know you have had unresolved issues in your life, or I mean we all do, but maybe. You know, if you have that plus the plus the uh, imbalances in your brain, then then that leads to you being in a really bad place. And you got to talk about the bad stuff with your therapist and let the pills deal with the chemicals. And you got to do both. Yeah, yeah, I love that that metaphor about the like. Is it really makes that come to life? Um, I, and I want to honor your time. Um, but oh, sure. I, I would be uh, uh, remiss if I didn't ask you about dinner of eight. AI and uh, Chat GPT. Uh, it seems to sit at the. Uh, I was I was completely. I for question. one welcome our robot overlords and will, will report any disloyal people. That's right. <laughs> but like the Venn uh, diagram of who you are, like a computer programmer, you uh, novelist, you, uh, a science enthusiast, or science nerd, as you're saying, uh, to level five. Like so, what do you? Uh, how do you? I see gotta. I gotta fall back to my default position that humanity is good. We're yeah. not giving these. We're not giving these chatbots the the nuclear launch codes, right? Yeah. It's like, again, all, all that they are, they're a tool, right? Yeah, they're a tool, and so if you, but they're they're a powerful tool, and I think the the rate at which we're seeing them advance is is maybe a little scary, but also not that scary because what happened was a bunch of companies were working on these things at the same time mm -hmm. and they were all making advances then one of them i don't remember which one first made it public and then the other companies are like oh we, we got to show off ours then yeah, so yeah. what what appeared to us to be like one week during which chat ai's like went from like zero to a thousand yeah. you know just in skill level was actually years and years of research in the making um but that having been said uh i also think again these these um these AIs are a tool. So if you have an AI that can solve complicated problems for you, it's just a matter of what problems are you going to give it? Right. Yeah. 
So eventually, yeah, you're going to have the AI where you say like, hey, how do we cure all forms of cancer? And it's like, I'm going to work on that. Another one's going to be like, how do I, and somebody else is going to be like, how do I get rid of all the Jews? And so it's just, you got to, you got to, it's how you use the tool, not, right. Not yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's, you know, just signed up for something to learn more about it. So again, to use it as a tool. Yeah. And I think back, I mean, you're probably, well, drunk. I, I, another analogy I like to do for AIs is an AI is like a hammer. I can use a hammer to build a house or I can use a hammer to murder someone, mm. but it's the hammer isn't the problem here. Right. You know, the, the existence of hammer technology is not what <laughs> is, it is not what defines whether or not houses get built or people get murdered. It's yeah. just, uh, what humans do with it. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, since you became a, a parent, have you experienced any changes to this perspective on the work you do? <laughs> of course. Uh, it changes everything. You, yeah, you being absolutely. a father of three, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, every single aspect of how I look at everything is now <laughs> just completely different. It's yeah. funny. It's amazing. It's like, I, I, I've wanted to be a dad my whole life, right? Nice. Um, it just took me a long time to, find a woman who will put up with my crap <laughs> and uh, you need a woman to make a baby. I looked it up. Uh, see, like I told you I'm good with Google. A lot of research. Yeah. A lot of research. Um, yeah. And so I'm 50 years old with a, with a almost two year old son. And so I'm going to be one of those old dads, you know, but uh, I've wanted to be a dad since I was in my twenties, but it's amazing. I, so, so the reason I'm telling you that is to say like, this is something I've always wanted. Right. And I've always been ready for like the life changes. So I've embraced all of these with a very positive attitude because I knew they were coming. But once you actually experience them and feel them, it's, it's like, wow, this is neat. This is like, this is the first time that I have unambiguously been willing to die for another person. Like, like without a second thought, I would die if I had to pick between me and and him. And it's like, you know, you like to think that you'd be that way about your wife or something like that. But you know, if it's like somebody says, like, either you or your wife have to die, I'd be like, mm. let me just give me a minute, <laughs> you know. But for the baby, it wouldn't even be a thought. And it's amazing how it changes your whole perspective on everything. Like, I know you want to know how it changes my views of science and the world and stuff like that, but it's my personal life that's yeah. like, for instance, um, when it comes to politics and stuff like that, up until now, I have never really cared about how the world is going to be like in another 50 years. Cause I plan to be dead. Right. Yeah. So I, I've been like, eh, climate change. Yeah, it is real. It's a real problem. Not really my problem though. Cause I'm going to be dead. Yeah. But, um, but now I have a baby and he's going to have to go on and live in that world. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I guess I care. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Stuff like that. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really weird. And also my own life. I've had this kind of, you know, um, this like, when I go, I go, you know, uh, I hope it doesn't hurt. That's it. But now I'm like, no, I, I have to be alive until my baby is an adult. Like yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. Like I want to be able to, to get on the, the floor and run around with my, my grandkids. That, that's my, like, I want to, so I'm, you know. Well, I'm just saying like in terms of sheer, like I yeah, need numbers. to be alive until he's, uh, until he's raised. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Uh, 
And then in terms of like fiction and stuff like that, well, yeah, I mean, I'm working on a, a story, my next book. I don't know if it, I never really know if what I'm working on is actually going to go all the way through. It's early days yet, but my current book has a um, sort of a father-daughter relationship in it. Oh, awesome. I have a son, not a daughter, but still. Yeah. Um, so I, so do you have some of those false starts? For you? Like, oh, yeah, you had all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, oftentimes, I'll have multiple ideas for what I want to do for my next story. And the only way to really find out is to just start writing all of them. So I'll, uh, I've written a lot of chapter ones just to see how a story feels. Nice. And if it feels good, then I start thinking about, okay, where, what's the total plot arc on this? Where, what's the beginning? What's the middle? What's the end? And do I like this? Do I like that? And I just kind of work on the one that feels best. Right now, I've zeroed in on one, but I have also in the past gotten way into a book and gone like, nope, this wow. sucks. <laughs> so I was writing um, after The Martian and before Artemis. Um, Artemis is a book between The Martian and Project Hail Mary that no mm -hmm. one ever remembers. But um, I was working on a book called Zhek, Z-H-E-K, and that was a soft sci-fi novel with aliens and telepathy and faster than light travel and all this fun stuff. And I was like, I honestly thought, I'm like, this is going to be my magnum opus. The Martian is going to be seen as like, oh, that's that other book that Andy wrote. This is the thing that people will be cosplaying at conventions. <laughs> and you know, this is going to be the one. And like, uh, I got 70,000 words into that book, um, which was planning on being book one of a series, you know, yeah, yeah. 70,000 words into it. And it, oh, I was just like, this sucks. This is not good. It's boring. The characters aren't interesting. The story is plodding along at a snail's plate pace. I have way too many subplots. None of them are pretty good. None, none of them are good enough to be a primary plot. What was I thinking? It's basically like, I don't know. I, I just, uh, you know what it was, is I tried to, I tried to be a, a pantser. You know, I tried to make stuff up as I go along. Uh, yeah. And I've always been a plotter. I've always been like, okay, I know how the story is going to begin, the middle, the end. I know how that's going to go. I'm not just going to do it. Um, you know, who's really good at that is George R. R. Martin. He, mm -hmm. he just, he considers writing to be like a garden. Let's just see what grows. Yeah. And I tried to do it that way. And I just ended up with a, a very weedy garden, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, so I'm, I'm not you a think it's like the constraint, like the, the constraints of thinking about, cause you have very little hand waving in your books where it's like, this is, you know, the, there's the science and everything. Do you think that there's creativity in having those constraints and maybe. Well, for sure. But also I had spent a long time coming up with how my particular faster than light ah. travel works and how I, yeah, yeah. and just all the details of it. And I mean, I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Um, so, and again, uh, thank you for your time. I, I got mm -hmm. two quick ones for you. Uh, so I think you're a teacher, you know, when you're writing your book, you're, you're teaching us something you're, you're, we're able to think a little bit about science, about math, about, uh, just, well, hope even like yeah. there's things you're doing. to. So what's the best thing you've learned to help you in your teaching? Um, well, in, in as much as, I, I mean, I don't really consider myself a teacher. That's a whole skill set that I, I don't have. But um, in as much as, like, I have to tell the reader information, right? I need the reader right. to understand information. So I do need to teach them at least the basics of what's going on. Yeah. And sometimes that information is really dry, right? And I don't want my story to read like a Wikipedia article. 
no offense to Wikipedia, but <laughs> yeah. um, that's purely informational and a story is supposed to be fictional and fun. Um, and so the, the one trick I've found is humor. Uh, just humor is a reader will forgive anything if you're making them laugh. And so they will read and keep reading and stuff like that. So that's why I have my snarky narrators, mm -hmm. right? Like, like Mark Watney, he'll, it, you know, if Mark Watney explains to you exactly how a hydrazine reduction um, reaction goes, there's going to be like 15 profanities and five meme related jokes in there. Yeah. Right. As long as I can keep the audience laughing, they can be learning by mistake. As far as I can tell, a lot of teaching is being sneaky and, and making the students learn when they're not looking. Yeah. Um, like, I, I remember it wasn't until I was, like, done with high school that I was, like, sneaky-ass teachers. Like, the, <laughs> like when the biology teacher will be like, okay, you can bring in a three-by-five card of notes. You can write on one side of a three-by-five right. card, and that's it. But by rationing the information that you get, I mean, this is second nature to you, but it took me a long time to realize, by rationing the information you're allowed to put on the three-by-five card, it makes you stop and think about each bit of the information and then transcribe the information, and then by then you've learned it. Yeah, exactly. It's like so sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> so sneaky. Yeah. I had complex it's like I remember, I remember being in class, and I'm like, I got my three-by-five card ready for the test, and I never had to look at it. Right. Because I remembered the stuff. That's perfect. Yeah. Sneaky-ass teachers. <laughs> Yeah, I had a, a professor. I was really nervous. as the most advanced math class I've ever taken. And he said, if you know the definitions, you're going to get a C. And I'm like, well, I'll just memorize the definitions. And I did that. And the same thing is like, well, I had all these definitions memorized. I'm like, oh, well, now I know the answer because I actually know what yeah. the heck is. I oh, can actually well, I read can this question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the final question is really just for you. Anything anything to promote? Anything you got out there? I, I would highly uh, recommend the randomize. Uh, okay, thanks. Yeah. On the forward collection. Uh, yeah, the forward collection. All of the forward collection stories yeah, are good. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you. I'm glad you like the randomize. Um, that's just a short story. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, my latest book is still just Project Hail Mary. Um, after, so I actually finished Project Hail Mary before the pandemic. And then um, during the pandemic, it was very difficult for me to write. I think a lot of writers ran into that, which is surprising because it seems like the perfect <laughs> yeah. situation, right? But I didn't really get much done. And then my wife and I had a baby. So I, I'm only just now getting back into the swing of things. Well, and I do, I mean, I appreciate you uh, sharing, uh, sharing your time. I appreciate <laughs> you uh, <laughs> being willing to uh, tolerate my, my persistent emails, but then also... <laughs> I just, I also appreciate your work and just, uh, oh, thanks. you know, the, the things that you share, the, the metaphors that you have, even the, you know, you talk about the leg metaphor with thinking about mental health and, mm -hmm. and just, again, like you're, you're even though willing to walk with me a little bit on thinking about some of the teachers and, and how they stood out to you and what do they invest in you in your life. And, uh, you, I think we're all, we're all teachers. And, and as a parent too, I think I see myself as a teacher in that role as well sure. you're thinking about yeah. how you're influencing what what environments are you creating to be sneaky <laughs> yeah. that sneaky ass teacher to but oh well you want to you want to eat broccoli that's great they're, they're little trees yeah, <laughs> that's yeah <right>. little trees. <laughs> exactly so again andy I, I appreciate you thank you so much for taking time on on Amazon planet thanks for having me and uh, again sorry i was uh, late <laughs> <laughs> no problem all right. Well, there's my conversation with Andy Weir. And I, I had another quote I wanted to share. This one is actually from the movie, uh, not the book, uh, from The Martian. And the last line is this, and I'll get into why it's important in a second. So the last line was, you just begin. 
you do the math, you solve one problem and you solve the next one and the next. And if you solve enough problems, you get to come home. And that kind of gets at why I wanted to have him on the podcast, this whole idea about problem solving. And, you know, thinking about the standard for mathematical practice, number one is make sense of problems, persevere in solving them. What parent doesn't want that for their child? What teacher doesn't want that for their student? And not necessarily even from a mathematical standpoint, but just in general, like having a problem and being able to think, all right, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to shut down. How do I go about solving this problem? And like he said, you just begin, right? You do the math, you solve one problem. And so thinking about the problems that are in front of us and how do we go about it? How do we build in the sort of um, disposition to problem solve? And that's why, you know, talking about this idea about messy tasks or juicy tasks, um, if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, I think we we did some no guilt book clubs and we, one of the culminating episodes released a couple summers ago was on reimagining the math classroom. It had Catherine Ye, Mark Ellison, Carolee Kane, Hurtado uh, to come in and talk about their book. And within that book is the, the discussion of juicy tasks, and I call them messy tasks. And these are the types of tasks that I want my students in my class here at the University of Mississippi to think about incorporating within their teaching, especially within the math classroom. And so thinking about uh, what is it, what is it, to make a juicy task or a messy task? What is the kind of things we want our students doing within the classroom? And so thinking about a, an actual problem, which is a difficult task with an unknown solution path, and you think about all the things that are in the way. If you've seen The Martian or you've read Project Hail Mary, you've read any of Andy's books, there, there are these things that are in the way and you don't know how you're going to solve them, but you just start going, right? You st- Again, <laughs> you just begin. You do the math, right? And you start putting out possibilities and, and engaging in problem solving. And so what kind of problems are we talking about? So again, some that have cognitive demand that have some that are achieving some sort of learning goal, right? That's called profundity. Profundity. I'm not very good about pronouncing that one. Basically, it means it's connected to standards and it has some sort of cognitive demand, right? It's a difficult task with an unknown solution path, but it's connected to some sort of learning goal. Okay, that's one. Second thing is having elasticity. So this is the second kind of characteristic of a juicy task or messy task, whatever you want to call it. Elasticity means having um, flexible or uh, entry points or exit points, and that this means a different sorts of representation. So you're thinking about, well, what represents a, a, a tr- attempting to solve a problem and what re- represents a solution? And so a lot of times when we think about it from like just the math perspective, it was a lot of symbols, right? So expand, foil, like really those are just procedures. Those aren't really problems. But thinking about how do we represent a solution, a lot of times it's more written or, but why couldn't it be spoken? Or even thinking about how do you attack a problem? And we sometimes talk about concrete, representational, and abstract. So concrete, can you like act out a problem, right? Act it out. Like you're talking about combining uh, stick, you know, I've got so many stickers, you got so many stickers, how many stickers do we have together? Like use stickers, right? That would be concrete or use physical counters, right? So you can actually model that problem or else draw it out, representational, draw it out, use drawings. Uh, That would be another way. Or abstract is just using symbols, numbers, right? And numbers are made up. They're made up. We're saying that these squiggles mean something, means they represent a certain quantity. So that's why they're abstract. Numbers are abstract. And so do we have ways that we can represent uh, a attacking a problem? either concrete, representational, and abstract, or even represent a solution uh, that's concrete, representational, and abstract. And think about Mark Watney's 
you know, just talking about the Martian, his solutions were, hey, did it work, right? Did this thing work? That represents a solution. Or if it didn't work, all right, that means that's not a good solution, right? And so there's flexible ways to represent like what, um, what, how to do the work, but then how to represent the work and, but then how to show what you did, right? So elasticity is one. And then finally is relevance, right? Is the problem relevant? And so even too, to say like, you know, one of the examples in the book is talking about, or one of the stories in the book, one of the problems in the book is about whether or not Mark has enough calories to maintain him, his body until a return trip. And you're basically walking through, like, does he have enough calories? And it's basically an, an, an algebraic word problem, right? It's an algebraic word problem. Uh, and you're walking through that and you're, why is it relevant? Like, it's not relevant to me that he has enough potato, but actually it is because Andy has written a story in the fact that like, I'm leaning in. I'm like, what does he have enough calories? Oh my gosh. Or how does he create the communication system? And that's where the drama gets in. You relate to a character. And so, you know, some of that could be, you know, when you're thinking about putting problems into your classroom, like relevant could be, Hey, I'm teaching you about your community. You might not know this about your community, but we're looking out into our community and you're seeing some things that you might not have known existed. Right. So that might be a window onto a community or it could be a situation you're very familiar with. Right. It could be dealing with, uh, you know, your favorite basketball team it could be dealing with your uh, the fa- one of your favorite hobbies or just something you're just interested in intrinsically. And so that has some sort of relevance. So we talk profundity, elasticity and relevancy. And that's what makes a messy task. And I th- again, I think these sorts of things are what we see within uh the work of Andy Weir, and then getting kids to engage with these sorts of tasks. Because then thinking about, again, I've used these examples before, like the lower level information that you need to know to in order to attack these higher level problems and not just doing lower level stuff for lower level stuff. And then what I mean by that is a trivia question. Like what's the formula for circumference? Like I can say what that is to our pie, but not just that, but can you actually then take that information and use it for something? Does it mean something? Like, for example, Mark Watney had used that to calculate the circumference of uh, the circle uh, that he created to for his communication system, right? He had to know what how to create a circle. He had to think about a radius, and right, and he marched it out, and all that sort of lower level information in order to solve a higher level problem. And that's, that's what we're looking at with regards to messy tasks. So I also appreciate Andy being willing to walk with me on with regards to thinking about uh, being a teacher. Uh, I want to say he is a teacher. Obviously, we, he thought about that with regards to being a parent, but also as an author and thinking about he is teaching us stuff. Like people know more things about um, space, about uh, you know living in space, <laughs> and, and also just thinking about some of the – even like cal- – calorie intake and how to sustain yourself or just even just the potential for human uh, capabilities. Like he scienced this up so much that you've learned a lot of things. And again, because of the stories, because of the way we want to engage with the characters, we are learning things. And if we're learning things, if he's creating relationship with content, I call that teaching, right? He's facilitated a, a way for us to gain relation or to have this relationship with content, just like I kind of made the connection with Rob Harvilla. You know, he thinks he's just hosting a podcast, uh, that's, you know, talking about 90s songs, but I, he's being a teacher. He's teaching us about the 90s. Andy Weir's teaching us about science. He, like, if you read the book, uh, the short story Randomized, you're going to learn about quantum uh, computing. 
didn't know anything about it before. Now I do. And I know it because of this story. Right. And so, you know, thinking about that, thinking about these, you know, these compelling stories, but then also just thinking about some of the stories he shared about his teachers and like how they engaged him in learning, you know, whether it was through just showing that they cared, but then also too the power of moments, like he, he, the, what, uh, I think it was, uh, Mr. Nicola did in history class, like to try to engage, you know, like modeling uh, Ellis Island, you know, that was 35 years ago. And he still remembers, he still remembers details about it, right? And the lessons learned from that. And so there's some power there. And so that, hey, we wanted to have Andy Weir on to talk to him in order to figure out how to learn how to teach better. And I think we learned some lessons. And I love how getting these other perspectives of people that don't necessarily identify as a teacher. But again, I'm going to argue that Andy Weir is definitely a teacher. Um, and so I want to, th- thanks again for having him on. That was, I'm just, again, <laughs> I keep saying it, but I'm so appreciate his time. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Amadon Planet podcast. Show notes for this episode can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 90. Uh, one thing that we're going to make sure to post is he's got, there's uh, some other podcast episodes that I thought were interesting that offered some different angles uh, about Andy Weir if you're interested about him. But definitely his TED Talk where he talks about publishing his book. Um, we want to put that out there. We'll put the links to all his books in there as well. So those show notes will, will have some definitely a number of links that you want to see. He also has got a great website as well. He was a computer programmer, folks. He's, he's got good stuff. Um, if you look at ways to support the podcast, you can submit a question, comment, or suggestion. Maybe you have an author you think, hey, it'd be interested to interview this person and think about what they have to say about teaching. Love to it. Or even the angle, a different angle on some of these alternative sort of um, people to talk about, about learning to teach better. I love it. I just, that's kind of the reason why I started this podcast in the first, first place. So if you have a question, comment, or suggestion, you can send it to joel at amadonplanet.com. Love to get those in the mailbag. You can also, if you want to support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review, and share this episode. Hey, maybe you know of an Andy Weir fan and you want to share this with them. They learned a little bit of something about Andy. You can go ahead and do that, please. Uh, when you do that, that lets other people find this content and they might find it uh, useful as well. So as always, you can follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. In addition, you can subscribe to the Amazon Planet download, which contains teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet. Uh, included on that uh, latest update, we will have links to the new Amazon Planet swag. If you're interested in that, like I think it actually goes along really well with Andy Weir's sort of message when he talks about hope. Um, and I was mentioning it too. Is I got some more "Be the Good" swag, and I, I like it because one, it's believing that there's good in the world. All right. And I think that's a message I think Andy Weir would get behind. But then also be the good. So how do you personally be the good? Like, And that could be doing, engaging in exactly the kind of stuff that like Andy Weir engaging in his passion of, you know, getting in those spreadsheets, math, you know, doing some science and math within those spreadsheets and then coming up with a compelling story in which to share that. That, I mean, that was good for me. He was being the good and that was good for me. And then now I get to share that with others. And so... Hey, how do we how do we figure out how to be the good? So if you like that message that it's wanted on a coffee cup or a t-shirt or sweatshirt that'll be on, uh, you can either uh, go to the footer on AmazonPlanet.com or you can subscribe to the Amazon Download. There'll be links in there as well. Uh, finally, check out um, you can also check out the, again the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet bookshop. Links are in the um, in the footer of the webpage of AmazonPlanet.com. 
Anything you do there will support the production costs of the podcast. All right, that's it. Hey, thank you for spending time on Amazon Planet. Thanks to Andy Weir for sharing his time and expertise. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. Finally, thank you to all of you out there learning to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.